Welcome to Cathedral of the Rockies Amity Podcast. My name is Tyler, and I work here at Cathedral of the Rockies with Pastor Ben Kramer. And speaking of Ben, he is now back to work preaching sermons. And for those listening in real time, apologies for this episode being a week late. I was out of town last weekend and just never really got around to getting this out during all my normal weekly routine stuff. So double dose of Ben today. Anyways, today's sermon is about humility, which we can argue is a central theme of Jesus and his ministry. Jesus came with all the power, but reduced himself to a mere servant. And that is where Ben will take this, so I'm just going to leave it there and get you to the sermon as soon as I can. So enjoy! At the beginning of service, we asked this question, how does Christ use power? What, does, what example does Jesus set for us in how he uses power? Like I said, I have a lot of ideas of how I would use cosmic power. And I, and I know I'm going to show what uh, Disney movie I was raised with, but you remember Aladdin, right? The original Aladdin with, with the big blue cartoon genie, right? And he's just like uh, all the cosmic power in teeny little living space. He's in that little tiny lamp, right? Well, I, I often think of like, well, what would I do if I had all the cosmic power in the universe? Would I respond the way that Jesus did? We're going to read that example this morning from John chapter 13, verses 3 through 17. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. If not, the text will be on the screen behind me. Listen to these words of John's gospel about Christ washing the disciples' feet. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you is. For Jesus knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. 
Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The written word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, some, John is one of, one of my favorite uh, writers in the scriptures because he just writes so beautifully. It just, it felt like we were listening to both a, a point in Christ's ministry, but also poetry as he was writing. It, it can be said that John's gospel is leading up to chapter 13. If John's gospel was a movie, this is where the scenes start to change. Christ's entire public ministry was leading to this very point. It ends in chapter 12. And chapters 14 through on talks about Christ's betrayal, his, his arrest, uh, his, his being denied by disciples, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. So chapter 13 is that pivot point, the climax of John's gospel, where we see things start to change. Everything that Jesus had spoken about and predicted was going to come true in the very next chapter. The hour that Jesus talks about is quickly approaching, and our pas passage today is the beginning of that hour approaching. So it's important to not confuse this passage with what we call the Last Supper passage of other Gospels. The Last Supper, as you know, took place on Passover, but right at the beginning of our passage, if you noticed, John tells us that this took place before Passover. So this was a meal before the Last Supper. This is really important. It may seem like a minor detail, but this is important because the central feature of this chapter, chapter 13, is foot washing, not a meal. They have a meal, but foot washing is what we're supposed to focus on. This account needs to be differently interpreted from the Last Supper narrative. So let's look at foot washing for just a minute and how Jesus engaged with it. Um, when was the last time you had someone wash your feet? Whoa, it's been a while, right? I've heard of pedicures before. I've heard that I should get a pedicure before, but I haven't yet had one. But I, I imagine that having someone wash your feet, and on, how, how many of you have been on Monday, Thursday service? right, where, where your fellow disciples, your brothers and sisters wash your feet. Isn't that just such, it's a unique experience, isn't it? Even as a pastor, at the point of taking off my socks so someone in the congregation can come and wash my feet, it is a humbling experience, especially after standing on them and preaching for the whole service, right? I'm like, I don't want them anywhere near my feet, right? But this is first century Palestine where all they wore was sandals and they had blisters and dirt and the sewers ran in the streets too. So washing feet isn't a small thing, but it was just as humbling in that context, Foot washing was very, very common in that culture and time period. It was a rite of hospitality 
So it isn't unexpected that we encounter foot washing in this scene. In fact, it is because foot washing is so common and customary that we need to see how Jesus breaks with traditional customs in the foot washing here. First, just a few points. First, in that time, the person of lowest status in the room was to wash the person of highest status first. And Jesus flips this. So you call me Lord and teacher, but I have washed all of your feet. The person with the culturally highest status washed everyone else's feet. Second, the foot washing should happen as guests arrived. What do we see here in this passage? They're all sitting around the table having a meal together. They've already arrived, so Jesus interrupts the middle of supper to wash all the disciples' feet. Again, Routine is disrupted. This should be a simple and unobtrusive act, like going and washing your hands. Nobody makes a big fuss when you go and wash your hands, but in the middle of supper, let's say someone brought a bowl to the table and everyone watched you as you washed your hands. That's, That's different, right? It's not hidden, but it's in the middle for everyone to see. This should be unintrusive, but Jesus washes feet at the table, and then proceeds to have a conversation about it during and after the meal about the foot washing. So Jesus' washes of the disciples' feet is unconventional even back then. Teachers don't wash students' feet. It's the other way around. Verse 1 explains why in two ways. Jesus knew his departure from the world was imminent. His hour was coming, and he loved his disciples. So Jesus is not following a formula or an etiquette book here. Jesus is acting in love for those who followed him, performing what we might call today team building. Jesus is taking care of his disciples and preparing them for what will be really hard for them to bear. Him dying on the cross in front of them all. We're also told that Jesus takes off his outer garment and tucks a towel into his shorts and grabs a basin of water. What's really powerful here, and you know me, sometimes I get nerdy with the Greek, but this is really important to understand the Greek here. Because as you're reading this in the Greek, when Jesus takes off his outer garment to put on the towel in his, in his shorts, the same Greek word is used for giving up his life. So when you're reading in the Greek, you're like, John is trying to show us a foreshadowing here. Him laying down his garment, taking off, giving up his garment is a foreshadowing of how he will give up his life for the world. The power that God had given him, he will also lay down for the world as he's doing so in here with the disciples. And one by one, he washes each person's feet. John also tells us that the devil has already co-opted Judas Iscariot from the group. But this does not mean that Jesus did not wash his feet too. He also shares the last supper with Judas as well the next day. Really, the only glitch in this whole process is someone we've learned to expect glitches from, Peter, right? 
Peter often causes glitches, especially in John's gospel for some reason. It's almost like they had a competition going back and forth, right? We hear this from Peter. Peter flinches when he gets to Peter's feet, when Jesus does. No, you will not wash my feet, he says. Peter is the only one reluctant to receive foot washing. And I think there's a huge lesson there. He's counted as the founder of the church, right? Reluctant to receive things from Jesus. I, there's, there's a whole sermon there, but we'll, we'll continue on with this one. As we have just learned, uh, the pattern Jesus is establishing is a complete breach of honor codes of the day. So it's understandable why Peter objects to this. He doesn't want his Messiah, his teacher, his Lord to wash his feet, to debase himself like that. But Jesus' response is rather harsh. It took me by surprise the first time I read it. If, you do, if I do not wash your feet, you will have no part with me. So if Peter does not participate in this group binding experience, Peter cannot have any position among Jesus' followers. But more on that in a minute. This is a decision point for Peter and a foreshadowing for the careful reader of what Peter will do. Because we all know as the narrative unfolds, Peter decides to go all in here, give me a full bath, wash every bit of me. But as the narrative unfolds, we will see Peter hesitate again, won't we? He will even deny that he has any part with Jesus three times. So he's only all in for a moment. How many of us have been there? We're all in in the moment. But when the point of decision comes, we have that same hesitation that maybe Peter does as well. After he is able to wash, I assume he's able to wash Peter's feet. Peter relents and lets him. Jesus dresses back again and sits at the table and acknowledges that he has broken protocol. He tells them that their blessing, their honor, will come from duplicating or reflecting his example of service in equality that they have all just seen. So then it brings us back to that main question. What is Christ's example here? Well, I want to bring up the first verse that we read this morning. Shana, would you bring it up on, on the screen? I think the most powerful verse that shapes this entire passage is John 13, 3. Would you read this with me? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. We have to ask, what would we do if all things were under our power? My friends, I don't know if my first choice would be to wash stinky, smelly feet. If that's not a sign of humility, of how Jesus operates and defines power in the world, I don't know what is. And the very next verses Jesus does with that power is wash his disciples' feet. The embodiment of giving up his own life in humble service towards others. His example is humility. And Paul puts it so perfectly in Philippians chapter 2, the, the passage Rebecca and I had read at our wedding. For even though Jesus had equality with God... He didn't see equality with God as something to exploit for his own gain, but he lowered himself as a servant of all. Incredible. 
cosmic power, yet chooses to be a servant in self-sacrificial love. Even with all the power of the entire cosmos, his response to that power is humility and caring for others. My friends, I think it's easy to look at this example and say, we are all in like Peter. We can use the power we have the way that Jesus does until we actually see what taking on that role of a humble servant looks like. My inner dialogue often sounds like this. It looks like lowering myself. It looks like doing things like washing dirty feet or having my schedule inconvenienced or, or, going, or giving up my, my coffee for the day so that I can spend money on something else. But let alone Jesus saying, love your enemies. <laughs> I can't imagine the kind of humility that takes to go as far as to love those who do not love us in return like Jesus did. You see, we don't live in a world that values humility, do we? We live in a world that values winning. And winning by any means necessary at that. We live in a world that rewards using our power for ourselves and those who are like us. We only seem to share power with those like us. Especially in our country, Christianity, I believe, does not need more power. Christianity does not need more political power. Christianity needs to learn how to use power the way Jesus did. Got an amen. I knew I was going to get at least one on that one. Christianity needs to learn how to use power the way that Jesus did, in humility. The power of Jesus looks like a wash basin, not a flag. It looks like a donkey, not a war horse. It looks like a shepherd's staff, not a gavel. It looks like a cross, not a sword. It looks like love, not winning. And sometimes it's really hard for us to be all in when it comes to choosing love over our desire to win. But the good news of the gospel for us today, my friends, which is why I hope you are here today to hear the good news of the gospel, is that it is through the humility of Christ that God changed and saved the entire world. And sometimes I don't think we think that washing people's feet or loving others the way that Jesus did, showing compassion and humility is effective. I don't think we think that those things are effective in our world today. But part of the Christian gospel is that God saved the world through those means. And God continued to save us and to save one another when we act the way that Jesus did in humility and compassion. I pray that the church, us, even Amity Campus, my bold prayer is that the humility of Christ is seen first with us. That we respond to the world, even in their hatred, even when they are enemies to what we're trying to do in the world that we respond in humility, compassion, and grace. 
Because my friends, I think we have a different definition of strength and power than Jesus does. And if you can, it is not a fragile God that can take a cross, is it? It is not a fragile God that can defeat death. The power of the cross is that the greatest enemy the world has ever known was defeated on the cross. So whom do we have to fear? And when we are set free from fear, we are free to love the way that Jesus did because we have nothing more to fear. Death has been defeated. There is no longer the greatest enemy. So we can love one another in freedom, compassion, humility, and truth. May that humility begin with us. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to, we'd very much appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it. Also, if you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at amity.campus at boisefumc.org. That email will be in the show notes. Finally, as a smaller congregation, our budget is pretty tight. If you'd like to help out and donate to us, there is a link to do so in the show notes. Of course, no pressure, only if you're feeling called to give. But more income does mean possibly more content and better quality of content, as well as supporting our current ministries and those we'd like to expand on. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.